the world of baseball, sports, and unified America. First thing I wanted to throw out there, unfortunately, and we know the basketball show is the king or the messiah of technical difficulties. So unfortunately, I'm not going to see any of the Periscope comments until afterwards. But just as always, I respond to them either on the show or, you know, basically just responding to what's said. So I apologize for that. Good news is we're going to do another show a little later on today. So we'll do two basketball shows today, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. First thing I wanted to start it out with is wishing my sister and Megan very happy 30th birthday. And, you know, we look on the date of August 7th in baseball history, a couple things stand out. Some people might gravitate themselves towards Wade Boggs getting his 3,000th hit, which he did on this date uh, playing for the Tampa Bay Rays. But the one thing that will forever make August 7th a significant date in baseball history, and a lot of people may not want to talk about it, a lot of people may want to ignore that this happened, but August 7th is the day in baseball history that Barry Bonds broke Hank Aaron's home run record. And it stands out, of course, because it's a controversial topic and subject, because there's many in the baseball community, many people that don't associate themselves with baseball, that don't want to acknowledge that Barry Bonds is the all-time home run leader in Major League Baseball history. They want to say he cheated. They want to say that, you know, Hank Aaron, in their mind, is going to forever be their home run champion. But Barry Bonds did something that nobody else has ever done. He hit seven, not just 756 home runs, which 756 came on this day. He hit 762. Nobody in baseball history had ever done that. And the bottom line is, here's what we try to get into when we talk about you know, politics as they apply to baseball. Because that's all it really is. It's politics. It's your home run champion against somebody else's. What do the facts say? What do the facts state? The facts state that nobody in Major League Baseball history has ever Hit more home runs than Barry Bonds. You may not like that. You may not want to hear that. That may piss you off to talk about. It. You may want to say Barry Bonds because he likely did performance enhancing drugs and used steroids should not be acknowledged for his accomplishments. We should not look at Barry Bonds as one of the top five players that position players to ever play in Major League Baseball history. That's what people want to do. That's what people, the way they want to think because it's within their own mind. They're there to make their own judgment. And as a fan of the game, I believe up to a certain point, you have a right to make your own judgment. If you want to acknowledge or put better emphasis on the fact that Barry Bonds hit, you know, 756 home runs and that's your home run champion, you know, that really is making the best decision based off the facts. But if you want to say, hey, what Henry Aaron had to go through, was something that Barry Bonds would never have to deal with or would have to deal with on a such lighter level when it comes to racism. And the fact that he was chasing the mighty Babe Ruth, which made the accomplishment of Henry Aaron much more significant than what Barry Bonds did. I don't mind that argument. I don't mind that assessment. If you really want to feel if you really feel that way, that's actually constructive. That's actually a good point to bring up. Barry Bonds never had to go through anything close to what Henry Aaron had to go through. So if that's what you want to acknowledge when it comes to Hank Aaron becoming the all-time home run champion, passing Babe Ruth, and Barry Bonds doing it, you know, many years later, 
with wearing a cap for the San Francisco Giants, breaking Henry Aaron's record, I'm okay with that. But who hit more home runs in their career? And I'm not saying one's better than the other. We have to acknowledge that the all-time home run champion, the man who has hit more home runs than anybody in Major League Baseball history, is Barry Bonds. And he hit number 756 on this date, August 7th. So happy birthday to my sister, Megan. And, of course, you know, that's something that I'm going to bring up for the rest of your life, pretty similar to my mother's birthday, which is on October 4th. And that coincides with the day that the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1955 beat the New York Yankees in the World Series for the first time, winning their first World Series championship and their only World Series championship in Brooklyn. Moving on. Coming off of a, a big weekend in baseball because – you had the luxury, if you're a baseball fan, and probably even more of a luxury if you weren't tied to either one of the organizations in regards to your fandom. If you are not a New York Yankees fan, if you are not a Boston Red Sox fan, there was some very good baseball played this weekend. You had the two best teams in Major League Baseball matched up against each other for a big four-game series, one that may very well determine the American League East race, or whether there is going to be an American League East race as we get through the month of August and into September. A couple things stand out, because obviously you have the fallout of the Boston Red Sox winning four straight games against the New York Yankees. You have the way that it happened. The Yankees jumping out to a 4 nothing lead in a Thursday game, and it turns out to be a blowout in the other direction with the Red Sox winning 15-7. You have the Yankees right on the verge in the final game on Sunday night of salvaging the final game, at least feeling a little bit of dignity and being able to walk out of Boston with one game, a three-run lead in the ninth inning with arguably the best relief pitcher in all of baseball, or this Chapman on the mound. Chapman on the mound, he blows the three-run lead. Red Sox walk off in the 10th, and the Boston Red Sox come out of this four-game series with a nine-and-a-half game lead in an in American League East. A couple things have to be brought up, not just the Yankee pet, which we're obviously going to see with Yankee fans. Once again, I said fan is a shortening of the word of fanatic, which means you got to be a little crazy to be a fan. If you're a diehard baseball fan, you should be a little nuts. You should be a little overreactive. You should you know, want to flip over tables every time your team loses a game. Yankees fans, if you want to panic, I'm not going to hold you back. That being said, you have to acknowledge how good of a baseball team the Yankees just played this weekend. And one person stands out that isn't going to stand out because the emphasis is going to be on the New York Yankees offense and not scoring very much on Friday and Saturday. Getting one hit on Friday, getting what a handful of hits on Saturday and scoring just one run in the ninth inning. Rick Porcello pitched probably one of the better games that we've seen in the last 10 years. Yankees fans probably, for the most part, are not going to acknowledge that. It's not going to stand up to them in a way where they're going to say, wow, you know, I really tipped my cap to Rick Porcello who really shut us down. He hits Brett Gardner, the first batter in the game. Obviously, the... Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. He, he, he threw one of the, you know, the, the retaliation ends up with uh, Severino buzzing Mookie Betts. Alex Cora gets ejected. 
you know, I believe that does add to the momentum towards the Red Sox. But Rick Porcello shut the Yankees down, pitched probably the game of his life, pitched probably as good as most pitchers would pitch while throwing a no-hitter. Of course, the one blemish was the one hit he gave up, which was a home run to third baseman Miguel Andujar. But in the midst of the Yankees and their fans and the media and the people that are biased towards the Yankees, maybe media reporters, maybe talk shows, maybe people that are in the business but can't help but admit that they're a New York Yankees fan. Does it impact their biases? Absolutely it does. And I think from this perspective, there's only one way to look at it. What did the Yankees do wrong? The Yankees did not hit Friday. The Yankees did not hit Saturday. The Yankees blew the game on Friday. They blew the game on Sunday. Sometimes you got to give the credit to where credit is due. And Rick Porcello pitched a better game than I've ever seen him pitch in his major league career. And this is the guy that's won a side out. So when we're sitting here and most people as Yankee fans are going to talk about what the Yankees did wrong, I don't care if Aaron Judge was in a lineup on Friday. I don't care if you, know, you put the reincarnation of a Thurman Munson or a Mickey Mantle in the lineup for the Yankees on Friday. Rick Porcello was going to shut you down. And this is stuff that you probably don't want to hear as a Yankees fan. You probably want to talk about what did the Yankees do wrong? How can they lose the four straight games? Well, sometimes there's a pitcher that can pitch so good that there's no way that you're going to be able to score against them. And the Yankees were lucky to get the home run, the wing-driven home run by Miguel Andujar early in that game, did not get another hit the rest of the game. The thing that Porcello did and dominated and did so well in that game that you can't make any excuse for if you're the New York Yankees is he threw strike one just about every time. Out of the 86 pitches he threw, he threw, what was it, 65 of them, 66 of them for strikes? He barely threw a ball. He located every single pitch in the strike zone. So when he's pounding the strike zone with strike one, the Yankees obviously know that he's going to throw a strike two. So they're up there looking to hit. And Porcello was able to get the Yankees out with a lot of, you know, early at-bat, you know, outs. And that was something that benefited the Red Sox very much. But once again, if you're a Yankees fan, you did not get the credit that you deserve. Or you're not giving the credit that's deserved. Another, another, you know, the fact that the Red Sox put a pitcher on the mound that wasn't Chris Sale, wasn't David Price, wasn't Roger Clemens, wasn't Pedro Martinez, but you know what? Pitched a game that was just as good as any one of these guys that would ever go on the mound. And Rick Porcello looked as if he was one of the Boston Red Sox elite pitchers in their history for one game. And I'm not trying to make Rick Porcello to be any better than he is. But for that one game, he was as good as anybody in baseball, and he was as good as anybody the Red Sox could have put on the mound in that one given game. Once again, this is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com as well as St. Allen Wishers Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Once again, I apologize for not being able to see the comment feed on Periscope. A couple different things I wanted to touch on. The last one in relation to the Yankees Red Sox series, you have an umpire that you know, if you talk about players in baseball, you say sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming for them. Sometimes there's players that are in certain areas that the moment is a little bit too much for them. Some players can have a ton of success in the minor leagues and then come up to the majors and just not be able to do it at the major league level. We call them foray players, right? 
you know, you got a pitcher that does nothing but strike hitters out in the minors. He comes up to the majors and gets lit up. You got an offensive player that has a great career and hypothetically, I don't know, San Diego, Milwaukee, Miami, where there isn't a huge baseball market, where the fans aren't flooding to the gates of the stadium, where you don't have a media circus before and after every single game, and they go to a place like New York or go to a place like Boston, and they just cannot hang. They can't handle the bright lights of the big city. I think the same applies to a Major League Baseball umpire. And it's a shame because you've seen the position watered down. You've seen some of the better umpires either you know, deciding to walk away or retiring. So you, you haven't really had those, those next big-time umpires to step up and say, hey, this is one of the better guys at his position. A couple of years ago, you had an incident that happened at City Field with the Mets and the Dodgers. Noah Syndergaard was facing the Dodgers and Chase Utley at home for the first time since the 2015 playoffs, where Chase Utley had had his slide into second base, which resulted in the broken leg of Mets shortstop Ruben Tahat. Now, there was understanding that there would be retaliation of some sort. Syndergaard and Utley second at bat throws a pitch nowhere near him, but sending an obvious message, throwing it high and very far behind Dudley. And he had a rookie home plate umpire by the name of Adam Hamari, who jumped out and instinctively threw Syndergaard out of the game. Obviously, the video, which includes Terry Collins running out of the dugout, using many profanities, yelling at Tom Halliott, ended up becoming viral before Major League Baseball took it down. Now, you can chalk that up to just a mistake. Baseball players make mistakes. Managers make mistakes. Now, maybe Hamari had rushed too much to judgment and maybe just thought too much with his heart as opposed to thinking of the game and the ball. Fast forward to this past weekend, the Rick Porcello game on Friday, Yankees Red Sox. Who's behind home plate? Adam Hamari. Now, Porcello could very well have been sending a message to the New York Yankees when he hits the first batter of the game, Brett Gardner. If you go back in Yankees Red Sox history, you know of the animosity that could exist, the tension that exists between the two organizations. So you could possibly say that Porcello may have been trying to send a message. I don't know if you necessarily want to hit Brett Gardner, the fastest guy on the New York Yankees team, to start the game and start the inning, but the case could be made that perhaps Porcello was trying to send a message. Red Sox come up next inning. Mookie Betts gets buzzed by Luis Severino. Not just, not hit. He's not beamed. He's not hurt. He gets one high and tight and goes right to the ground. This is where, as an umpire, you have to allow for the players on the field to police themselves. What you're setting up is the potential for something down the road to get a little more out of hand than it does. And Adam Hamari, at that point, is not using his proper judgment when he's deciding to send a warning out to both teams. And if the roles were reversed, I would expect Aaron Boone to have gotten thrown out of the game the same way as Alex Gordon, Red Sox manager, did. Adam Hamari, similar to the players that I was referencing before, and sometimes you have a manager, let's say Art Howe, 
who had some success in Oakland, was pretty good in Houston. Really couldn't handle it in New York. That was not for him. Other managers are pretty good examples of that. Players who end up playing in a big city or in the bright lights. And like I said, players who dominate the minor leagues but can't quite cut it in the majors. This describes Adam Hamari. This is the second incident in very few games that this guy has umpired. He's a temporary umpire. He's kind of a fill-in umpire. He doesn't have a full-time job as a major league umpire. The amount of games that he's going to umpire behind home plate are very minuscule. And already, he has been in the center of two controversies as the home plate umpire that he initiated. And the umpires, the rest of the umpires aren't going to throw them under the bus. So you're never going to get the correct answer here. But the bottom line is that if there's a more experienced umpire behind the plate, the players would have been allowed to police themselves. Could the results have been a bench-clearing brawl on Friday between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees? Maybe. Just maybe. But at least the players would be policing themselves. I think this is an incident that if the Yankees want to hold on to, and the Boston Red Sox want to hold on to and think about for a little while, it's something that may fester. And if this becomes a tight pennant race, I wouldn't be surprised if the Red Sox tried to buzz one of the Yankees players to retaliate for Mookie Betts because the players were not allowed to police themselves on the field. This was controlled by an umpire, an inexperienced umpire, one who may be in over his head in the position that he's in. So I have a problem with that. Couple more things we're going to hit up on in the show today, but before we do that, we're going to get into the segment of the show I like to call "Nobody's Listening." And if you've listened for about 20 minutes, hopefully you've listened to a little bit of the show. But I expect most people to be tuned out by now. So this is the one part of the show that I that I decide that I'm going to talk about something completely unsports related. And today's topic. As we got the background music playing, is going to be divorced. And I wanted to bring this up not because I'm getting too much out of the realm of sports, but if you think about Major League Baseball, there's something close to 80% divorce rate amongst Major League Baseball. I bet you a lot of people didn't know that. But if you think about the lives and the fact that players play professionally in the major leagues for many seasons are going to spend a lot of time away from their family, it's understandable that there could be tension that would exist within one time. And if you think about it, you know, it's a little more understandable why it's difficult from a certain extent and to a certain time frame that players could have a very healthy marriage. You're away from your spouse, you're away from your family for many, many months of the year. So I get it up to a certain point. Now it leads to a bigger issue that we have in this country because I don't think the value of marriage is anywhere near as valuable as it used to be. You know, we go back two years and people used to be willing and able to get through a lot of their problems. And it, it just seems like it's an easy cop-out. It's an easy way to just walk away, especially if there's some difference that you may have with your spouse. And the willingness and ableness that you still exist when it comes to a husband and a wife, and I'll even use husband and a husband or wife and wife, 
you know, not to have any biases towards this, and I'm going to touch on that in a minute. The, the willingness to get through trouble and problems and to go through things for better or for worse does not seem to be as much of a priority as it used to be. And I will say this, when it talks, when I talk about marriage, when it comes to whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, I believe that homosexual marriage has actually in, enhanced the sanctity of marriage. You have people that are you know, just as passionate, just as in love, just as there for each other, that are able to you know, continue with the sanctity of marriage and pr probably help in a situation. But unfortunately, we live in a society that says, hey, you know, if there's a little bit of a problem, let's just walk away. Let's not man up or woman up and stand up to the issues that we're dealing with. Adversity. It exists in the world of sports. I've spoken about it for years now. Adversity exists within one's own home. And if you're not strong enough mentally to be able to face those adversities, that's where counseling exists. And I think in societies we live now, we look at marriage as just a trial. And it shouldn't be a trial. It should be looked at for the common bond of what it's been created for. It's supposed to be for life. And a lot of people that jump into marriages without you know, making sure that they're ready to make the commitment for the rest of your life, you guys are ruining the sanctity of marriage. Men and women whether it's together or independently, are ruining the sanctity of marriage. And the last point I want to make about this is you have people that you know can be divorced once, twice. And I understand there's exceptions to the rule. But usually if you get divorced for a second time, you better take some responsibility for it. Yeah, you can't marry the wrong person twice. You had something to do with it. To make two decisions and commitments for the rest of your life to stay with somebody and decide to back yourself out of it, you got to take some responsibility for it. But the last part of it is, I think, with the comical part, which I get a little bit of a, you know, laughter out of when I hear people say, you know how many people are divorced that end up trying to give advice to people that are married? Is that an oxymoron? Is that the biggest or a big part of hypocrisy in this world? It may not be the biggest issue. But geez, the last person, if I'm having problems in my marriage and I want to get advice from is somebody that's been divorced, somebody that has failed, somebody that has proven that they cannot stay married, somebody that is ruining the sanctity of marriage as we speak. We're to get back into sports, and I don't want to chase too many people away, but you know, with the little help I was getting in regards to playing the music, we had to do the nobody's listening segment a little bit early. But once again, this is the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Always happy to be with you. Please feel free if you want to comment on either Facebook Live or Periscope. I'm okay with either one. Um, once again, Periscope comments, I'll view and take a good look at afterwards. A couple other things I wanted to touch on as we're finishing the show. One of them I thought was a pretty cool one. And this cool one I'll, I'll talk about for a couple minutes, and then I'll get into my last rant of the day. The Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs have set up on August 27th to be a day where you could probably have a fan experience that you probably can't compare to anywhere else. 
there's many promotions that have been done. There's many giveaways that have been done. A lot of teams and organizations, especially in a minor league level, try to think outside of the box and try to do something that's interesting to bring people in. Well, I'm very intrigued by the fact that on August 27th, the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs have a promotion where you can go to the stadium, sign a contract, and retire as a Lehigh Valley Iron Pig. Something that I don't think has ever been done in professional sports. I don't think may ever be done again, but it's extremely interesting. If you want to, you can consider yourself a passionate fan of Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, or maybe you've got nothing else to do that day. You can show up at their stadium on August 27th, sign a contract, and consider yourself for one day a member, probably an honorary member, of the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. And obviously the word retire is in quotes. It doesn't mean you have to quit your job. It doesn't mean that you're employed in any way by this team. It doesn't mean you're gonna earn any money from the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. But I think it's an outstanding promotion. And I thought this was something that was warranted and worth bringing up on the show. Last thing I want to get into, Mike Socia, manager of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, has to deal with reports that he is quote-unquote retiring or stepping aside at the end of the season as the manager of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Now, Mike Socia stands out because he first took the position in 2000. So that means he's been the manager of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim for 19 years. Next year, if he decided to come back, would be his 20th year. Now, he's under no pressure, at least what's being reported, from ownership or from general manager Billy Epler to step aside after this season. So Mike Socia is asked, is there any truth to the fact that he is willing to walk away after the season or he wants to walk away at the end of the season? Mike Socia's answer, in more of a demonstrative way every single time that he's asked this, is no. No, no, this is insane. I don't want to take these questions. He's not sideswiping the question. He's giving you a direct answer and saying, no, my plans are not to leave my post as the manager of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Now, once again, I gravitate a lot of the things that we talk about on this show towards a faction of the working population that I have a little bit of an issue with, and that's the media. The media is not going to let, in some cases, a little bit of truth or a little bit of Mike Sosa's statement get in the way of a good story. You see, continuously, whether it's baseball reference, whether it's CBS Sports, whether it's ESPN, the story that sits there on MLB Network, Mike Sosa is going to step down at the end of the 2018 season. Who reports that? You know, there's a couple reporters that have. You know, very prominent, Bob Nightingale, who I respect, Ken Rosenthal, of course, is a legend. <clears throat> so I'm not going to insult them or take any credibility away from their work. But when you have a story that is being cut at the throat or from the throat by the person that the story is about, you might want to back away from it. If Mike Socia says there's absolutely no truth to the fact that he is willing and close to stepping aside as the manager of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, and he's under no pressure to do so from his owner or from his general manager. You could report that it was discussed, or maybe whatever sources 
We're talking to Bob Nightingale or Ken Rosenthal and giving them an inclination that Sosha may consider stepping aside after the season. But once Mike Sosha says there's absolutely no truth to it, this is not a story. I will be back next year, essentially, in those words and those terms. You should walk away from the story in the headline, which says Mike Sosha is retiring at the end of the season. Says Mike Sosha is stepping down as the manager of the Angels after the season. Once you get to that point where the guy who the story is about is completely refuting it, it's time to walk away from your story and say, hey, I do have some inclination to believe that he may, but at this point he is saying no. So therefore I'm going to back off from my reporting that says he's out after the season. And if I'm any media outlet, I'm going to not report the story as, quote, Mike Sosha is retiring after 2018. Mike Sosha is stepping aside after 2018. That's lousy reporting. You've got to do a better job than that. You can include whatever information you want in that, whatever you know information you've got from reputable sources that say that you believe that he may. But a better title might be that Mike Sosha denies the report that he's going to step aside at the end of the season. This, to say it in the terms of the story that you're trying to write, the narrative that you're trying to drive, is essentially telling Mike Sosha that he needs to step aside at the end of the season. And you know what? If he's not under any pressure to do that from his general manager or from his owner, and he doesn't want to, he shouldn't have to. He shouldn't have to cave in to what the media is telling him to do. The clock playing right now is reminding me that I'm probably at my last topic that I'm going to bring up today. And it's something that I saw that happened this past weekend that I thought was pretty fascinating. And I thought it was worthy enough to bring up. Tampa Bay Rays pitcher Ryan Stanek, who you know is pretty much the poster child, along with Sergio Romo, as being that quote-unquote opener in the Tampa Bay Rays' revolutionary change to the use of a starting pitcher. He's a reliever. He's a guy that probably is going to be on a pitch count for about 20 to 25 pitches or so. And is not going to be expected to last very long in a game. It's likely expected to pitch just the first inning. He goes out there the other day, strikes out the first five batters that he faces in a game. And if you remember a guy by the name of Jim Deshades in 1986, and I believe Jacob DeGrom may have done it later on or most recently, more recently with the Mets. I don't have the stats in front of me. Maybe when I do the show later, I'll uh, reaffirm exactly how many times players have gone out there, pitchers, have struck out the first eight batters to face they faced in a game. Well, what Ryan Stanek has done is outstanding because he struck out the first five batters that he's faced in a game. Not as a reliever, but as a starter. And obviously, I use the term loosely when we're talking about starter. I don't have an issue with him being taken out of the game when he was. A left-hand batter comes up, he brings in Adam Kalarik. Kalarik ends up uh, giving up a base hit, yada, yada, yada. I don't care about the perfect game or the no-hitter. But the fact that the guy went out there and struck out the first five batters of the game and was taken out is a sign of baseball in 2018. It's ironic because you go back five years, you go back 10 years, you go back 20, 30, 50, I don't know how many years you want to go back. Any one of the above number of years, 
and it would have been an absolute albatross to say, how could that even happen? Now, we understand the way the games play. We understand the difference. We understand the opener. We understand bullpen games, things that you didn't see too much of, really, prior to the last four or five years. The opener really started to be done last year and this year. So the game being played different is obviously why you're seeing things that you've never seen before. But, man, I think of some of the great pitchers in history, you know, Fergie Jenkins, who's been a guest on this show. Can you imagine somebody going out there striking out the first five batters that they face as a starter and coming out of the game? I understand the game was played differently then. But I'm pointing more to the irony. Not complaining because it's something that can't be changed. Ryan Stanek is on a pitch count. He's coming out when he's coming out. Maybe it was too much to push him through that second inning. And Stanek has pitched well enough to earn his second inning when he's essentially a one-inning pitcher, an opener. He's supposed to pitch first inning, then the next guy comes in. But I found it very, very ironic and fascinating. One of the things that you may want to bring up as a stat, Ryan Stanek as a starting pitcher was probably and probably will be the first and only pitcher in Major League Baseball history to, as a starting pitcher, strike out the first five batters that they face and not face another hitter. A little bit of recap on the show today. We talked about Rick Porcello needs a little more credit from Yankees fans for his performance on Friday. Adam Hamari has an umpire a little bit over his head. Maybe he should get sent down. Talk about people in their professions. If you're not good at your job, you got to consider an alternative. Or if you're running a major business and you're not getting the job done, maybe it's time for a demotion. I think it's, in a, uh, it's something that needs to be considered with Major League Baseball umpires and Adam Amari. Yankees fans panic. Listen, they got a stretch of baseball over the next month where their schedule is very favorable. If they can just play with more consistency, win the majority of the games they're playing, they won yesterday against the Chicago White Sox, just win some games. Get Aaron Judge back. Get Gary Sanchez back. Get themselves into September playing really good baseball and see where they're at. Because the worst case scenario for the Yankees, at least right now, is that they're playing the wild card game at home at Yankee Stadium. Not the greatest thing in the world. You prefer to win a division. You prefer to not be in a spot where it's win or the season's over. But just play your best baseball over the next month. See how many games you can gain games you can gain on the Boston Red Sox. Mike Sosha, media's telling him he's got to retire at the end of the season. Mike Sosha should do what he wants to do. Divorces. If you're if you're married, please make sure you're giving your marriage the best chance to succeed. Because remember, it is no matter how you choose to get married whether it's from a church, whether it's from uh, you know, the justice of the peace, it is until death do you part. Be back with you hopefully later on. A lot of different sports topics we're going to get into in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnBiela.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.